Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey, y'all. This is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoy today's episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat, and it is a special episode in several regards. First and foremost, episode 200 for us. So quick round of applause for us here at Half Street High Heat, and obviously we couldn't do without you listeners. Um, Also, probably more important than episode 200 for us, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) a little bit of news going on with the Nats, Uh, Juan Soto in particular. Uh, as if you know this team didn't have enough to be depressed about. Uh, I don't think I have to go into detail as to what has gone on over the past week or so with Juan Soto. I, I believe everyone, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, uh, you know what's going on with Juan Soto at the moment in time. But we do have Jesse Jesse Doherty on the show today. Um, he's going to provide obviously much more information about the situation than you know we could conjecture or, or you know surmise or anything like that it's a very insightful conversation i will prepare you guys it's probably not what you want to hear yeah uh, we 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 had we had those reactions while talking to jesse amanda and i did uh it's not necessarily what you want to hear there's not a lot of optimism um but i i won't spoil anything i'll let you guys react to the conversation we have with jesse doherty when the time comes, we'll do it a little bit earlier in the episode so you guys can really get into the thick of it. But it has been a while since we recorded a traditional episode. So Ryan, Amanda, how are you guys doing? Oh, doing great. It is good to be, I know it's been a lot of like one-offs and a couple of us and not the others kinds of episodes for a while. So it is nice to have the, the whole team, the gang back together. But yeah, just been <laughs> busy with life and uh, all kinds of all kinds of good stuff going on and good stuff going on in life and 
bad stuff going on with my favorite baseball team. Yep. A little behind the scenes, behind the curtain peek uh, to our production. Uh, Ryan just discovered emojis on Zoom. Um, so he's currently raising his hand. And when I asked how everyone was doing, he did give me the thumbs up emoji. So I do feel like because this is uh, an audio only version of this episode, I have to disclose that. But Ryan, what's going on? I use Teams for everything. So like I didn't really Zoom had like every single emoji. So that's pretty exciting. Um, You know, th- things are great. Um, <laughs> the whole so, year, actually. The, the whole year. It's just, it hasn't, it, it hasn't be been boring. Um, sorry, no, let me rephrase it. It's been boring, you know, <laughs> no drama with this team whatsoever. Stray did just come out though. That's very exciting. If you guys play video games, look up Stray. It's the greatest game of all time. You and your cats, God damn it. <laughs> I freaking love cats, man. Um, but yeah, you know, things are boring. The Nats are so boring, even when they're rebuilding. Nothing's happening. Oh, man. Oh, well, if you ask Mike Rizzo, it's still a reboot. Um, so let's not. <laughs> you know. um, yeah. Uh, all right. So we're not going to beat around the bush. Uh, like I said, we're going to get to the interview with Jesse Doherty now. That way you guys can get all of the information. Um, you know, we are releasing this on the 21st, Thursday, the 21st. We recorded, the, recorded this interview with Jesse uh, tonight, the, the 20th. So it's as up to date as possible, unless something obviously breaks overnight. So it's all the latest information, obviously, from a great source uh, in Jesse Doherty. So here it is. Uh, I would say I hope you guys enjoy, but I guess I'll just say... I'll, I'll just say buckle up. So here he is, Jesse Doherty. We are now joined by Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Doherty underscore Jesse, which you should, as there is obviously plenty of news to keep up with at the moment. Uh, Jesse, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to have you back on. Uh, last time we had you on was before the season, and uh, I, you can give yourself a quick pat on the back for your, you know, projection for this team because <laughs> i think you were pretty spot on um, oh, yeah. good good i didn't say they would win 100 games oh thank god <laughs> that's well, usually me i'm the homer and even i i think i predicted 70 which was in retrospect pretty okay. generous. So 75 fair. i can't remember well, yeah we need people like that right and predict 70 wins. <laughs> yeah every fan base needs its homer and uh that, that's amanda although yeah. I, I don't know how strong she's been throughout this first half of the season or so but <laughs> regardless we won't beat around the bush obviously you know there's a ton to talk about surrounding Juan Soto Mm -hmm. I have a lot of questions a lot of questions (laughs) (laughs) a lot are the Nationals actually looking to trade Juan Soto or is this just a you know kind of crazy negotiation tactic no they are wow I wanted you to say no Jesse (laughs) no they are I think I understand what you're saying I think um a sinister reading of it could be that they're trying to accelerate or or put pressure under Soto I think if we are to trust at least somewhat what's being put out in public um, by his agent which over the last couple days and uh from what I've understood and what I've been told as well on both sides the it wasn't as if he left the last conversation with the Nationals on the edge of taking this offer and then would be put over the edge by the threat or the leak that they're looking to trade him I think 
it was still far off as far as Juan Soto was concerned, which I know can be mind-boggling based on the total amount that it was. But it's not like this is close and some trade murmurs will nudge it over the finish line. Uh, it's not close, and that's why trade discussions are going to take place. So I, my, my first question really is, is I was, first of all, I was kind of surprised to learn they were even negotiating this um, this much during the season, that the, yeah. this intensity of negotiations was even going on. Yeah. But why, why now? Why, with two and a half years left, of, of his tenure here when they have team control, why, and new ownership is coming in, why would the learners yeah. or whoever in the organization, you know, leak this at this point? Is this just a, a CYA with the fan base? Or obviously, like you just said, it wasn't a pressure tactic for Soto probably. Yeah. So what? why are they doing this and why now? I think it's a great question. I think one would be that they wouldn't be leaking or just or trying to disclose any sort of information about their efforts if the trade discussions were not actually going to happen. And I think in one way the reading could be that they're trying to show their fan base they made a good faith effort to sign this player before they actually go to the open market and and start negotiating with other teams. Why now in terms of when the team control is like you mentioned two and a half years still? I mean the I, I think a basic reading would be that Juan Soto is more valuable today than he will be tomorrow. And he'll be more valuable Thursday than he'll be on Friday. And then mm -hmm. if you take that out and then you go on August 2nd versus August 3rd, now that accounts for two months. So every day passing, you get one fewer game with a generational player you're less inclined to give up a bigger package, right? Your package starts to shrink with every day you lose. On August 3rd, it shrinks by two months. That's a pretty significant margin. And for any contending team, which I believe will be the market for him this month, that's a full pennant race. So if I'm giving up three of my top five or 10 prospects and a major league outfielder, maybe I'm taking on a contract of a player like Patrick Corbin, as I heard about today, <laughs> I want three, three pennant races, right? I don't want two, I want three. And we talk about two months rental as being a short amount of time, but October is like, that's, a ten, that's like 10 years, right? Like if you have a good October, and I think people in DC know what a good October can do. You can live right? off that for a long time. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's, that's not a rental. A pennant, an actual pennant race with a potentially Hall of Fame caliber 23-year-old is more significant than two months. So I think the idea of him being a rental for the rest of 2022 is not totally accurate in my mind. And that's not how it will be viewed in discussions, certainly with other teams. And I think that's why this is all happening now versus in December when maybe it seems like there's a new owner and they can make their own decision. The best baseball move for the Nationals if they really don't feel they'll be competitive for the next two seasons after this is to trade him now. And that might be counter to what the best move is for their fan base, what the best move is for the immediate future, what the best move is for, you know, whatever it may be, but from a baseball standpoint, like that holds a lot of weight. Yeah, man. This has not been a, has not been a happy start of the show. Okay. 
Like, come on. <laughs> There's nothing like, happy about the Grim, I'm like the Grim Reaper right now. I mean, I like. there hasn't been anything happy about the season, if we're being sure. honest. <laughs> hey, watching Soto winning, who was it? Somebody, I think it was, I can't remember. Somebody who talked about how it was like watching your ex girlfriend or soon to be ex girlfriend you knew was going to break up with you when he won the Derby the other night. Yeah. Like, right. It yeah, all happening like, on the same day dude. when all this news broke, and then he wins the Derby, and you're just like, "Oh God, why?" Yeah, great. Has and that happened all before? The... Oh yeah, yeah, a little, little deja vu. Yeah, not so happy deja vu. <laughs> yeah, it was just so bittersweet because then after he wins the Derby, he literally says, and it could just be PR, or whatever. Like, I I won this for Washington or whatever he you know yeah. he said, yeah. and then every question, but from the reporters afterwards, it's like, "What's your future? What's going to happen? What does this look like?" and all this stuff so there, there's no escaping it even though you know there was a reason to talk about something other than the trade but of course that's sure. you know how it goes but so it, it you know as you said this trade rumor i guess it's not rumors this this trade talk is legit yeah you know if you're looking at the rest of the league you, you said contenders is there a, an early favorite I know, you know, you're the, the big article going around all of baseball is, you know, potential trade packages for Juan Soto. Is, is there an yeah. early favorite? I know the Padres and Nats were obviously in talks last year with the mega deal that fell through. The Dodgers obviously did the mega deal. You know, they're always a favorite. You hear the Yankees even hear the Mets. Is there an early favorite? And you mentioned it before. Are the Nats seriously considering attaching Patrick Corbin to this deal? Because that is... It's one thing to trade Juan Soto. It's another thing to trade Juan Soto and lessen your return by attaching a bad contract to it. One that's only going to last two more years. Like Right. And by the time know, you're good again is already pretty much right. over with anyway. It, it's, it's so, okay. I know that I just threw a lot at you, but who's the early favorite right now? No, and sure. what does the package look like? No, trust me. It's not. I mean, it is a lot one time, but I feel like I, uh, I wrongfully tried to get away this all-star break for a little bit. And I, uh, yeah, good luck. <laughs> the whole time, I was gonna say the whole time I was like saying to my fiance, I was like, "What if, what if it's this team?" And she's like, "You told me you would unplug." Um, but <laughs> this has been a common. This is like going in my head, so it's it is a lot, but it's it's good. Um, honestly, I wish I had an answer for favorites. Um, I wish I could write it. I wish I could tell you. I, I don't know. I, I think the 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 Venn diagram of teams is so is so. Like it's it, it's narrow in the sense that like you need to have one of all three things, which I listed the other day on on Twitter. It's you need a really good farm system, obviously. You need or some combination of good farm system, young talent. I, I would say like in the major league side, if you're less than two years of service right now, former top prospect, thriving in the majors, you're in play for that, right? So you need that. You need a really aggressive general manager, which someone like San Diego does check, and then you need an owner willing to spend. And I I don't even mean spend past Soto's team control. I mean, spend on two years of probably record arbitration figures too. Not all owners want to do that, right? It's like, you know, we, we think of it as, can they make a serious play beyond the control past 2024 to keep him long-term? But like, if you're looking at someone like the Guardians, right? Like they probably have, I mean, they definitely have the prospect capital to make this happen, but they're not spending $70 million in arbitration. Right. Years, right? So like Tampa, which I've heard yeah. mentioned, but Tampa's not sure. Yeah, Tampa's interesting too. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think there's some reports that they made a run at Freddie Freeman late, which makes me think maybe they sort of like under the radar are willing to spend more than we think. But I, I think you're, you're spot on there. Like, 
So that's a, ma that's a major commitment, even if you sort of chisel it down to a two-year deal, right? We don't know what the figure is exactly, but it's going to be, they're going to be really big numbers there. It's coming up from about 18 million and then it's going to dump, it's going to come up again. So that's a major financial commitment for a lot of, a lot of owners. So as far as finalists, I don't know, but that's sort of the criteria, I think. And then as, as far as Corbin goes, yeah, I mean, I think it is part of the equation for the nationals potentially. And I, I agree with you, as I wrote today, like, I think if you, do anything to lessen your package that you're getting, then you're doing a disservice to your franchise. So if that means packaging Corbin, like I, I mean, the, the recent analog is, is the Mookie deal, which included David Price going to the Dodgers. And I mean, I, I said today in the story, it's like, if you, if you, if you imagine that the Red Sox would have gotten more than Alex Verdugo, Jeter Downs and, and Connor Wong, had they not included David Price, then you and which which logically yes they would have right. I mean it's ninety six mm -hmm. million people in the other way. Then you have to use that as a lesson and not do that. That's just that's point blank. I mean you have to not do that. So I think it's in play, but I I think it would be uh, it would not be good if that's how the Nationals approach this. I can see Mike Rizzo right now going. Do I have to not do that? I feel like I don't have to not do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know I I I keep thinking. I, I hope at least that if it goes that way, that they negotiate hard, get a great package put together and then say, you know what would set yours apart from everybody else's if you would take Patrick Corbin? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the best case, right? And it'd be hard to know ever if that was the discussion because we don't usually get that kind of level of detail. But if that's all that happens, I, I totally agree. I think if you can if you can separate from two teams using that tactic and offload the money, then of course you want to do that. But if it does affect the package, it's not, it's not a good move. Yeah. I agree. Okay, so if we had to put odds on this, like, what do, what do you think the odds are that he actually is traded by this deadline? And also, if you had to put percentage odds on him signing an extension with the team as opposed to being traded, like that he actually comes back to the mats at this point, do you think that that ship has completely sailed? And if he were to do that, what kind of number would we really be looking at? Like, what kind of deal do you think it would take for the mats to keep him? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think both are good questions. I think one, um, the what if it'll be traded it's hard to handicap it for me but I, I do think that the fact that they're listening is a major step because there's obviously times in the past where there probably were offers or there would be legitimate offers but there's just no way it was going to happen and the and the fact that they're actually seriously considering or listening on those offers i mean notably ups the chances of it happening uh, which is significant. It sounds like word salad, but it is because I think like there's times in the past where like, there's just no way, like we're not going to trade him four years out for agency. We're going to make an effort to, you know, to sign him. But when 440 comes and goes, I think you have to really think that there's a good chance it happens. As far as an extension, if he makes it through this deadline, then, then it all depends on who the owner, the new owner is. And Rob Manfred said the other day that it, he expects it to be done by November, which would be when the owners would vote to ratify a new on the new 30. And I mean, I think that matters. I think if we're looking at someone who's gonna come in gangbusters like Steve Cohen and spend, spend, spend and make it a big winter and build around this young core being, you know, Soto and Gray and Ruiz and um, Garcia, like I, I think it changes the calculus a bit. And then you say, okay, now what kind of figures can 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 put on the table if if Juan's breaking both the Total contract record, 426, and the AAV record, 42, 43. I think, I think it gets done. I think that's, those are huge numbers, but. Big numbers. But yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the variable, right? So if, you, if, if it gets through August 2nd this year and 
then it's up to where the franchise goes in the next three or four months. And if it's someone that's going to really make that the priority of their first active donor, which, you know, <laughs> you could do worse than, you know, delivering the homegrown star to the fan base for the next 13 years. Definitely uh, endear think, you to the fans. That's for sure. Sure. I think it's possible. So I won't say it's zero. I think, I think this month it's, it's not going to happen and that's significant, but I, I don't think we can't say it's zero with the uncertainty looming on who's going to be running the franchise, you know, a year from now. Man, but it's a lot to digest. Like it's just so much so quickly because it was encouraging um, not this past offer, the 15 year, 440 million, but the previous offer. And I know Hector Gomez has kind of been uh, on it and, not all of it, you know, was confirmed, but it was nice to at least see the Nats were continuing to negotiate because sure. that was something, you know, at least us as fans weren't convinced was going to happen. So the fact that, right. you know, after this past offseason and them not committing a lot of money and them not signing anyone to a multi-year contract the past two years, it was nice to see them at least attempt to retain him and retain him with two and a half years left or th- at that time, three years left. And now all of a sudden it's, you know, like you said, they're listening to offers after Rizzo and company have doubled down saying they're not trade. It's just, it, it's crazy. Um, shifting. Well, it's not really shifting gears, but it is kind of a, a funny little side story to the whole Soto saga. And I know it didn't just happen to Juan Soto, but it happened to Paul Blackburn as well, but the whole, you know, commercial flight to the all-star game thing uh, yeah. did that you know, have anything to do with Soto rejecting the offer? Or was that just more of a reality of the owners being cheap? I don't believe it had anything to do with the respecting, rejecting the offer. No, I think if you look, if you like you ask around the league, I think a lot of times what's happening is either veterans are paying for that to, to take place. Like in the past, like Max Scherzer would have stepped up and done that. Or um, I know that also like the league does reimburse players for all-star travel, whether it's to, pay for first class tickets for them and family or give them the value of those tickets toward a private flight that the players play for themselves. So I think it's maybe a product of Soto being alone and on the island a bit, not with other veteran players. I think knowing that the the ownership could have stepped up and handled it, but I don't think if you look around the league, I don't think like 26 teams are paying for their all-stars to fly on a charter, but it does happen a lot that like I think like for the Cardinals, like Albert Pujols did it. And then like the other all-stars hopped on the flight, right? Um, same mm-hmm. with Max in the past. So, you know, it's it's a mix of circumstance of owners not stepping up to do it. I don't believe it had anything to do with recent contract talks. Yeah, just really poor timing, I guess. Yeah. Yes, piling on with all the other stuff. And, you know, given what both Soto and um, Boris said about like them being upset about things being leaked and then the story about the, the commercial flight it was just a lot yeah it's of, a perfect story for the week right and yeah <laughs> a lot of negativity and it sucks you know not only for for us you know as fans and people who follow the team but for Soto too I mean to get to go to the all-star game he wins the derby and there's all this swirling rumors and negativity and all that it's just it's it makes it hard to it makes it hard for it to all be enjoyable I think totally uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the draft. Um, how high is this team on Elijah Green? Is is this like, was this a best case scenario for them? Do they have somebody else they wished had fallen to them? Or was he kind of their, you know, their target the whole time? And um, what do you think happens with him now that he's, now that he's going to be, 
you know, in the Nationals organization? Is he going to stay in center field or do you think he'll get moved? Like kind of what are your expectations? Yeah, I think they were not, and I, I, I thought this was a good approach. I, they were not going to just go with a high school bat or sorry, a college bat for the sake of maybe accelerating their timeline and getting somebody in the fold in, the, in a quicker span. So what I heard was that when it came down to it, and especially after the Rangers sort of shocked everybody and picked Kumar Rocker, what I heard was that they were really had zeroed on Elijah Green and Termar Johnson. So one of those two were going to be available. So I think in some ways, I don't know who would have been the pick had they both been, but in some ways you can look at it as the Pirates kind of made their choice for them, right? When you pick five, it's not picking four, not picking three, not picking two, whatever, and, and so on. So like you lose a little bit of control of your board. I think in this draft in particular, there was like a consensus top four with Johnson, Green, Holiday, and Jones, and then Rocker gets thrown in and that makes sure, and that kind of assures that five, you get, you know, one of the guys you wanted. So I think when you talk about best case of the Nationals, I think in the sense, yes, because I think the Rocker pick and the risk the Rangers took there, or the sort of leap they took, I think ends up being really advantageous for you because it makes it, it assures you get one of the players that you've sort of ranked that high. Whereas maybe the next batch, which is Brooks Lee and Kevin Parada and, and Jacob Berry, you know, those are maybe were not thought of as highly as those top four guys. So uh, as far as position, I think it's, he'll start in center, which, you know, I think we see a lot with this organization is that they take um, sort of middle of the field players, shortstops, catchers, center fielders, um, develop them there as long as possible because that skill set is the hardest to hone. And then we'll see sort of later in development, then those guys move, whether it's infielders to second or third, whether it's outfielders to the, to the corners. Chris Klein, the Nationals AGM in charge of scouting, um, kind of runs the drafts. He projected that he thought that he would wind up in a corner just because of the size. I think he's probably fast enough, and I've heard that his arm is good enough for center, but at 6'4", I think they probably wanted to get a bit bigger for the, at the plate for his own sort of power. I think that he projects to be more of a corner guy than a center fielder. Yeah, sounds similar to well, – I guess it remains to be seen because he's still so young, but similar to Brady House last year, currently a shortstop, but yeah, the size right. makes you think third base is in his future. But at least for the time being, they're giving him a, a chance at short, which your logic and, and the Nats logic makes sense for why they keep those guys – at those positions because it is, you know, premium positions for a reason. Um, but now that the draft is over, do the Nats have a specific type of prospect they're looking for in return for guys like Bell and Cruz and whoever else might be dealt at the deadline? Are they going for arms? Are they going for, you know, it seems like they've uh, been preferring more MLB ready guys. I don't know how much you can get for, you know, some of the mid tier guys, they might trade like a Carl Edwards Jr., seems like you might go for a guy with higher upside in low A as opposed to an average guy in triple A. That's just me. But do, you know, do they have a type they're looking for in return for any potential deals at the deadline? Or are they just trying to get the best prospect available? Yeah. I mean, I think last year's deadline is somewhat instructive in that they went for more major league ready guys overall, where I think that maybe was short-sighted in that, they were hoping to sort of quote unquote reboot this instead of rebuild this. And right. that deadline is probably an example. I think Mike Rizzo has even said to me on the record that 
He was looking at guys who were on the cusp. He was looking at guys who could contribute quickly. Um, does that mean you could have maybe gotten a low A prospect instead of Donovan Casey or, uh, you know, a rookie ball guy instead of Gerardo Carrillo? I mean, there's, it's possible. And um, I think that's, you know, with this Soto deal, I would imagine the general impatience and wanting to show the next group of owners, frankly, that there's a core here that you can see that maybe isn't exactly up yet or has major league stats, but you'll see early on. I think I would guess that this is all speculative, but I would think that that desire would trump potentially getting the overall, overall best package. It's so team dependent and so farm system dependent. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think that there's just generally more hitters out there of this caliber than pitchers. A lot of the top end pitchers across the team's farm systems are one concentrated in organizations I don't think will be contending this year uh, or making this big leap at the deadline. I'm talking about the Orioles and Guardians and right. Rays, where those guys, a lot of them are. And then a lot of them are also just hurt, which I think is a hard thing to trade for as well. Um, so I think you think of bats and position players as more safer bets in this juncture with a guy like Soto. So I would think you're looking at position players. I would think you're looking at high A and above in a lot of cases, if not guys with some major league service who have shown success. Uh, but again, like what that looks like as a total package is so team dependent, dependent on sort of who the centerpiece is. And then you kind of work down from there. Yeah, makes this sense. It will be interesting to see what direction they go. Um, we're all assuming, obviously, that Bell is going to be traded. Um, I don't know if you have any information on that um, specifically or just the same assumption that the rest of us have. Uh, um, question is about Riley Adams. Do you think he's going to basically just be fully converted into the first baseman and, and get the majority of the time there once Bell is gone, if Bell is gone? And if not, um, what do you think they might do there instead? Yeah, I think so. Riley Adams sort of gotten slowed down by some like wrist hand pain in AAA. So the development as far as first base game reps has not been there, um, which I think would slow down, you know, the potential that he is the first baseman on August 4th, should Josh Bell be traded. And, and and like you said, what I, all I've heard and all I know is that he's definitely, you know, in that group of, guys I, I haven't heard specifically on like teams that are interested in or what the package could look like but um, in the last year of team control it just makes a lot of sense for them to listen and, and consider a trade there and I think it's it's likely he's moved so um but but with Riley I think you would you would have liked him to get more games at this point and he hasn't so that's that's been an impediment in terms of you know getting him ready for um Role like that, and I, I, I do think that while there was going to be some more first base, especially maybe to back up whoever does end up there, they were going to catch him most of the time and down in AAA. So I don't know if it was, it was a full conversion was on the docket. And so if that's not the solution, there's Joy Manessis has been solid in AAA, one of the Rochester Web Wings best hitters. So I think that's a real possibility. Um, Jake Knowles always been a, you know, it's been hitting well in AAA the last couple of years. Not as much power this year. So I think if he was having his season last year, this year, he probably has a better shot to replace Bell at the deadline, but he has tailed off a little bit. So those are some options internally, um, but I wouldn't expect Adams there every day just because he hasn't gotten those game reps down in AAA yet. Man, I mean, I don't think anything, 
<laughs> just and maybe it's recency bias. I don't think anything has gone to plan for the Nats this season. <laughs> No, yeah, really. Not a lot of it on their way. No. Yeah. Oh man. I know. We it's... were already. This was already a depressing interview, and then you said Jake Knowles, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, cool. He had that one walk-off walk. Remember that? that was yeah, awesome. that was that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, to make depressing matters even more depressing. <laughs> I'm sorry to do this. Um, Steven Strasburg done for the year uh is there any sort of indication on what his future looks like are we going to give this another go next year are they still deciding what's the latest on steven strasberg yeah that's a good question i think i think what we're going to see next year frankly is similar to what we saw this year which is right. an attempt to ramp up and they'll see how it goes i mean there's no indication now that they're going to try anything different or uh, I mean, they're trying, I'm sure they're in the rehab, they will, but it's like, I think the timeline is similar in that they'll go to spring training. And I would imagine that the first attempt to pitch next season will be earlier than June, um, just because he shut it down now and they have a longer ramp up. Whereas last year it was, it was coming off the surgery directly, whereas this year it's just further complications of it. So I think it comes earlier. Um, I think, you know, circuit calendars for his first spring training start, they'll be telling, I think. We're probably, as we've been in the past, but maybe more than ever, we're just on watch every time he pitches, right? So I think it's a, it's a tough spot to be in, and it's just an unpredictable surgery. And I'm in the process of reporting a story about why it's so unpredictable, and um, both in Strasburg's case and other pitchers. So I'm learning about it all the time, and it's 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 just there's a lot of unknowns, and that's like what I've the main takeaway so far in the reporting, and I'm hopefully now more. <laughs> more definitive answers but the, the main thing is that there's just so many unknowns with the surgery and it's so hard to predict and I think that coupled with late stage of your career and wear on the arm and past injuries it's just there's a lot of factors that are working against them right now and that's just um just how it is well it sounds like an interesting article we'll definitely be watching out for that um do you think there's any chance that with the new ownership coming in that they're gonna seek some sort of injury settlement with him or do you have you heard any rumblings about that or, or just, you know, from your own kind of speculative viewpoint? I haven't yet. Um, I haven't yet heard a direct effort to sort of make that happen. I mean, I've heard it floated in the organization in terms of like, you know, that'd be interesting. That's something we would, you know, want to explore. But I think first and foremost, like the player has to not want to pitch. Anymore. And from what I understand and from what I've heard and what I've been told, um, both sort of from Steven's camp and from the team's camp is that they, that's, that he has not reached that point. So all any sort of details in the settlement or any sort of sort of steps toward that would have to be started by the fact that he's saying, okay, I'm, I'm done with, you know, so what, what, what can we do? But until he reaches that point, I think you have to sort of, if you're the team, you have to sort of not, even, not pretend you have to like indulge in the fact that he wants to keep pitching because that's, I think right now I'm sure he feels on an Island and, he feels very bogged down and, you know, the, the mental health aspect of these injuries is, you know, immense and especially repeated ones. And, you know, I think that you have to just go as if he's going to pitch again and you have to sort of indulge in the fact that he wants to do that. So that's, that's, I think what's where they're at right now. Got it. Well, all right, let's shift this to the positive. Strasburg is going to come back healthy. Uh, the Nats are going to sign Trey Turner and bring him back and that'll make Monsoto happy. And then Soto will sign an extension. Uh, Josiah Gray takes the next step. K. Bear Ruiz takes the next step. We're going to re-sign Josh Bell. We're good. 
we're good boys <laughs> and girls like we're we're, good, we're fine we're next fine. year is going to be awesome next year is our year we are back <laughs> you can put it on the board now all right cool uh that was a you know half-hearted attempt to be positive sure. for, sure, why not? for one time on the on this interview all right jesse to wrap up you know we like to kind of speculate get some bold predictions to uh wind down these interviews trade deadlines coming up who's the biggest name you think it's dealt in all of baseball uh at this deadline interesting uh i'm not gonna say one so no he's I like the that biggest name. He's the i appreciate biggest that name. <laughs> yeah he's obviously the biggest name being discussed um Ooh. I mean, Bell's up there, right? Um, as far as, you know, sort of what he's accomplished at this point of his career, I think Luis Castillo's got to yeah. be in that mix as well. So I, I, I'd fine. probably go with uh, some combination of Josh Bell and Luis Castillo. Interesting. I like it. Yeah, I think Castillo is probably the likely choice. I, the It seems pretty dry. I guess that's kind of a product of the uh, expanded playoffs. More teams are in it, so there's less sellers. So yeah. maybe that's that's For why. Sure. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like there's so many names being thrown out there, but I don't know. I kind of like it. I think the expanded playoffs are achieving their goal because it's no, it's no fun when you have 17 teams who have kind of just quit in August. So totally, totally. The expanded playoffs is fun. It's definitely getting to see, see how it plays out. It's going to be, I I love it that there's going to be a lot fewer teams giving up and, and more interest in that, those last couple of months of the season. Yeah. And when the Orioles trade for Juan Soto and we get all their prospects, <laughs> we'll just flip, you know, flip teams basically. And then we'll be I saw there. somebody, I can't remember who it was, who said that they should trade him to the Phillies for Bryce Harper. And I was just like, oh, come on, you're killing me. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? He has a no trade clause, so I can't see that happening. But Right. <laughs> it sure would be fun to watch the epic meltdown from both fan bases. I mean, th- that dives, or that would take us down a whole separate rabbit hole we could spend another hour on about you know what (laughs) if they signed Bryce Harper and you know not Patrick Corbin and you know all this stuff but what if they traded Bryce Harper (laughs) at the deadline yeah we you know we'll save that for next interview when there's nothing else to talk about because this team's you know in the midst of a 13 game losing streak all right Jesse, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, all of our followers, be sure to go check out Jesse on Twitter at Doherty underscore Jesse. Check out his work at the Washington Post and uh, keep your eyes peeled for any Juan Soda news, but also the uh, article he mentioned coming out about Steven Strasburg in his road to recovery. Jesse, thanks so, so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Jesse. All right. Big thanks to Jesse once again for joining us. Uh, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Doherty underscore Jesse. And woof. Uh, I mean, you you heard it if you're still with us. I mean, you heard our reactions as it was happening, as we were talking to Jesse. It was a lot to digest. I mean, I don't know if you feel the same way, but it, there was just a, a lot of it's a roller coaster. It, it's just all over the place. Yeah upside down flips twists and turns with this story it's hard to tell which way it's going to go but it's also hard to tell like who's who's the leading source for this obviously we trust jesse because he's plugged into everything but you know hector gomez has been leading a bunch of it you see buster only and then you see all these other of course media heads trying to get in on the action because it's the hot topic Mm -hmm. at the moment you know john Heyman, jim bowden all these other people that you know 
might not be the most reliable, but because it's our guy, because it's our team, you got to stay plugged in. Uh, just quick thoughts, quick reaction. You know, what were you guys' um, you know, reactions and thoughts when you first heard the news, both that he rejected the 15-year, $440 million contract and that he was being you know, shop, not necessarily shop, but they're listening to offers. What were your guys' reactions? I wish I could say I was, I was going to be surprised. I'm not. I, we've been saying sort of cynically on the show for a long time that they're not going to sign Soto. You know, it's, there's no way they're going to pay what it's going to take to keep him. And I remember joking when they traded Trey Turner and we we're like, haha, so they can keep Soto. Right. But you know, it's, it's distressing as a fan, but as a person who just follows this team closely, it's it's completely unsurprising. Um, the offer, while that number is eye-popping, $440 million is a huge number. It's the biggest contract in the history of baseball. But a $29.5 million AAV is just totally unrealistic for a player like Soto. There's a zero chance he was ever going to sign that. So my reaction, if that's truly their last offer, they were not serious in the first place. If they come back to him with one more offer that brings that AAV up to, you know, you know maybe a shorter term, but, you know, an, an AAV that is commensurate with who Juan Soto is, then, and, and he won't sign it, then I would say, you know what, you got to trade him. You got to get something for him. You can't do what you did with Bryce Harper and let him get away for nothing. But I don't think they've made that really serious offer yet. And if they're not going to, then, you know, it's best to trade him as much as it, it hurts as a fan. Um, you know, and, and another thing is that after I've had a little bit of time to digest it is as much as I love Juan Soto and I'd love to keep him, it, what do you guys think? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Are you better off uh, for your rebuild, getting whatever massive haul of, you know, prospects and, and maybe young major league players, you know, for him than just to have Juan Soto? Because, it, you know, you can see around the league that having one superstar with a crappy team around him doesn't lead you where you want to go. I mean, I'll, I'll go first because I know Ryan's reaction to that question. <laughs> I do too. And he, 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 I mean, but he's also going to be able to articulate uh, reasons as to why it makes sense better than I will because I was on the fence for a while. Uh, I think distressed is a really good way to put it. Um, it's like Bryce Harper was my favorite player. That was hard and one this, to take. It weren't, I'm not trying to turn this into a Bryce Harper conversation, but it's relevant. Uh, not only because it, it's a, a face of the franchise type guy and, you know, the amount of money and years being thrown out, but it, it is almost like deja vu. You know, there's mm-hmm. all these fake offers and then there's a couple real ones that were rejected. And then, you know, there's the leak coming out from whether it be the front office or ownership trying to make the player look greedy. And then the fan base kind of turns on that player and it makes it a little bit easier for the ownership to cover their ass and say hey we tried it's just a lot of deja vu and you know that's not even to include you know your Rendon your um your Trey your Mac obviously those are different situations but they were all pivotal parts (laughs) yeah they are all pivotal parts to our fandom and obviously the success this team had so yeah it's not irrelevant but it is distressing to see us go through the same thing we went through. It's not like it was like five, 10 or uh, 10 years ago. Right. It's not like, Oh, you had to, you know, have been there for when this happened before. And it's the same. This was just a couple of years ago. 
and you you have a guy that's arguably better than the guy you let walk before. And yeah, you, you tried $440 million isn't chump change, but it's crazy to say it, it wasn't really a competitive offer mm-hmm. as mind boggling of a concept <laughs> as that is to think about. It, it wasn't like I see why fans would be angry with Boris, but he's good at his job. There's a reason all the players, all the, the big name players want him as their agent because he gets the most value for his players. And, you know, this isn't about, oh, you know, greed or $440 million is more than enough or whatever. You're no one ever is going to settle for less than they're worth like that. That as a concept, it like it's just stupid. If we're being honest, nobody is ever going to settle for less than they're worth. There's guys that might take team friendly deals and stuff like that, but no one's going to settle for less than they're worth. Like just throw that out the, out the window, especially not Juan Soto. Right, especially when you're a generational guy. And not only that, the fact that they can afford it too. The the learners, well, I mean, that's a separate conversation, obviously, because the impending sale of the franchise. But, you know, whether it's the learners or the new owner, they can afford this contract. Like, it's not a matter of, you know, greed, right? Greed would imply you're asking for more than they can afford. That that's not the case here. They yeah, can expecting what pay. you're worth isn't greed. Right. They 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 can afford to pay this contract. But to answer your question, with the point we're at now, it, it does make sense to trade him. It, it's you know the Bryce Harper conversation was a little bit different because we were still trying to compete and obviously won the World Series next year. But it made sense because we still had so much in place. Right now, if we're being honest, Juan Soto is the only thing in place. Top to bottom, it's he's the only thing in place. And there, there's promising pieces, your Josiah Grace and your K. Bay Ruiz, but they're not set in stone yet. They're not cornerstones to this franchise yet. They can be, but they're not yet. Juan Soto is literally the only thing. So is he the missing piece? No. I mean, he, he's a generational player, but this team has such a long way to go. And last year, they tried to fool, I don't know if it was themselves or the, or the fans, into thinking this would be a quick turnaround. And that's why they opted for closer to MLB-ready prospects. That illusion is pretty much out the window after seeing how this team has performed. And Josiah and K-Bear, great return. Happy they're here. Don't get me wrong. But they did sell short on what they could have gotten for Trey and Max. Like, that. that's just... Uh, um, a reality. So now that we're here, it, it just makes so much sense to trade them. Like you, you have to hit refresh on this. It does need to be new era. We talked about new ownership, right? But that can really go from top down, new ownership, new front office, new management, new players. Like, I, I think you do just kind of need to hit reset on all of this but ryan i would love to get your thoughts yeah you guys made a lot of good points um i went through a lot of different range of emotions with this whole thing but in a different way than you guys did 
Soto turning down the contract was the most obvious thing of all time. You're not going to take a 15-year deal when, one, you don't know who your boss is going to be, and two, you're going to waste seven years of it with this team being this bad. The Nationals lost their chance of signing Juan Soto before he hit free agency when he said, I want to be on a team that's committed to winning, and the Nationals did nothing. That was their, they lost every shot they had at re-signing him. So in that moment, actually this offseason, I thought the Nats should have traded Juan Soto. I thought it made a lot of sense going into the year. They didn't, and that's okay. So when the news came out that the Nats were looking to trade Juan Soto, I genuinely was like, this team is finally doing something smart. And a lot of people are going to be upset that and roll their eyes. I don't care. Sports are a business. You are facing, whether you want to admit it or not, this is a six plus year rebuild. In all reality is they are going to do the model that the Orioles and the Astros did. This is going to be a very, very painfully long rebuild. How do you reset that? How do you cut it in half? You trade a superstar. You trade a superstar like, like the wits that we have never seen hit the market in its sports history. You trade them. So when that first came out, I was, ex- I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, they're going to get a King's ransom. They're going to cut this rebuild time into four years. It's going to be fantastic. But then all this other news comes out that they're looking for close to MLB ready prospects, that, which is absolutely horrible for rebuild, by the way. That's a separate conversation. And then they want to attach Patrick Corbin to it. So now I've lost all hope. Um, they're just going to, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know what they're doing. And someone that I trust pretty well said that with teams that are calling, the Nats are basically saying, tell us what two or three prospects you'll be willing to move and we'll let you know if we can go from there. That's a horrible way to go about this, by the way. That also makes me very upset. But training Soto is 1,010% the right move. It makes all the logistical sense. New ownership's going to want a clean canvas. That's fine. Um, it's getting ugly. And part of me feels like the learners wanted to sign Soto so they can go out with a high note and be like, oh, look what we did for the fans. There's a way out. Now Soto's like, no, I'm not going to sign. So now they're trying to drag him through the mud to like get people turn on Soto and not him. But and they always do that. It's so irritating. Like, why can't you have some class when a player isn't going to say, like you said, it's a business. You don't have to try to make your players look bad every time it doesn't work out. That other organizations don't do that. Well, billionaires don't have class. (laughs) That's yeah. Because you can't buy class. I don't know. It just really drives like I love Juan Soto. He is he's delightful. Like, not just because he's such an incredible hitter, not just because of his play on the field. He's just, like, genuinely a really happy-go-lucky, fantastic locker room presence. Like, he's just a great guy. He's a fan favorite. Everybody here loves him. Trying to make him look bad because you made an offer that wasn't even serious in the first place just really pisses me off. Yeah. Um, Another – sorry. I was going to say, another aspect of trading soda that I haven't really seen anyone talk about is – this is a lot, a lot of scouting that has to be done in two weeks. This is a very, very complicated trade. You also have to take into consideration that the Nats front office is stupid. Okay. The teams that are going you to be have calling to take them into consideration. You do. <laughs> like the teams that are going to be, let me rephrase that. The teams that are calling for Soto are very, very analytically driven. And these teams have built their prospects list and have very, very good prospects based off analytics. So they're going to go to the Nats and be like, we're going to give you blah, blah, blah. 
and the Nats who go off the eye test and their eyes aren't very good are going to be like, well, that doesn't match up with our rankings because we are built in 1992 and uh, we still use Microsoft Paint and we think that that's another aspect to it. So someone in all these front offices is going to have to figure out how the Nats are viewing things, which also makes me a little bit nervous. But the point is the Nats are going to get the return that they should because they're stupid. And I don't think people are talking about that point enough. Yeah. Um, so let, let's break this down because obviously there's, there's levels to this. Like, you know, th- it's one thing if a superstar player rejects a contract, but it's not quite that simple in this case. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, external and internal factors that go into a potential Juan Soto extension, but also Juan Soto trade. So let's start with probably the most obvious one and that's ownership. You know, this is something Ryan has called out. A lot of people have called out prior to the most recent offer and subsequent rejection of said offer. It just does not make sense for one to do anything until we find out who the new owners Mm -hmm. are like. And, you know, we I guess we can't talk too much about it because we don't know who the new owners are. But as far as the learners go, Ryan kind of hit on the head like they were trying seemingly trying to make this one last splash to uh, give this parting gift to the fans or, you know, just make themselves feel good. Like that's probably what it was more the latter than the former, but you know, here we are up in the air with the franchise and the learners don't seem to care. (laughs) Is that kind of where we're at? It seems like it. I, I remember being shocked when we first heard, when was it like a month ago? when Hector Gomez said that they were negotiating and I was kind of taken aback because I was surprised they were negotiating in season at all because most players don't, but especially with the team up for sale. Like I was like, why in the world would Soto be negotiating when he doesn't even know who's going to be the owner? Like nobody's going to want to sign on a deal of that length when they have no idea who they're going to be working for. And I don't care if you're Juan Soto or, you know, some fringe major leaguer, like, you know, you, you might care a lot less if you're, you're a guy who's just happy to have a job, but, you know, you still want to know who you're going to work for. It doesn't matter what your job is. You don't want to commit yourself when you don't know what you're getting into. So it seemed just, I don't know, strange to me that they were negotiating at all. And then to find out that they made it, you know, that offer again, I think if you don't, if you don't understand the way the business works, then, then you look at it and go, that's ridiculous. Who needs more than $440 million. But if they had made $440 million over 11 years or 12 years, I think we'd be having a very different conversation. Mm-hmm. Like that annual value has to be there for a guy like who makes more than 29.5 million a year. There's a lot of guys, it, a lot of guys who are not as good as Juan Soto. It was never serious from an AAV standpoint. And you, a lot of guys will take less AAV for a longer contract, but Juan Soto is not a lot of guys. Like he can have both, you know? So I don't know. I just, the whole thing struck me as very strange from that point of view and the ownership, I guess I'm still trying to figure out, and I, your idea is, is a good one, Nick, is like, maybe it was just like a, supposed to be a parting gift to the fans. But I was thinking to myself, unless the new ownership has expressed interest in them extending Juan Soto before they buy the franchise, why would you be making a franchise altering decision of this magnitude on your way out the door? It just really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So a lot of people keep talking about that. They're like, well, maybe they're trying to be the bad guys for the new ownership. Why would they do anything for a potential buyer that hasn't given them any money yet? You know what I mean? Like there is 
business at like there's logic to this on both sides. They could just be doing this to show potential buyers that they have the most valuable asset in all sports, despite the fact that the roster is absolutely terrible, or they can realize that the roster is absolutely terrible. And so they could be like, you know what? Let's trade Soto, get a little bit in here. So the team's in quite a much more favorable situation than they were with Soto on it. But like, I don't really buy into the whole, they're trying to do this for the new potential ownership because no business person would ever do anything for someone without money being given to them first. Unless there's, they're further along than we know about publicly. Like maybe they are. Which know could be. Yeah, maybe they already yeah, know who they're they talking to. And it could be that they're, you know, negotiating with them. Like, how do you want this structured for going forward. I have no idea. You're right. But it doesn't make sense if no money's, no, no money's changed hands unless there are assurances given that maybe we don't know yet. I mean, I, I just view it like, granted, you know, oh, here you go, Amanda. Like, this is your type of analogy. Like, like a house, like a, you know, an open house. You know, the, the house itself may be shit, but, you know, it seems like a new Juan Soto contract would be like all new furniture and new paint and like basically just everything on the inside the looks great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just renovated all new appliances and all stuff. But the house itself is terrible. Right. And closer being torn down than, you know, lasting for, you know, your entire mortgage or whatever. Terrible analogy. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, it, I, do. it, 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 I don't think the, the learners would necessarily do it for the potential buyers but more so invest a little bit more. Well, in this case, you know, a lot more in the team, you know, 500 million more in the team to up the value of the sale. So it's not really for the, the buyers. It would just be for themselves to get more. It's deterred a little bit to try to get it sell for a higher price. Right. So I, I don't think any of this was, is altruistic the right word? Yes. Good intentioned. I, I don't think any of this was altruistic. Uh, I, I think it might've been a bonus, right? I don't think the learners hate the fans, but I don't think they operate for the fan. Well, I mean, they definitely don't. None, none of these teams do in any sport operate for the fans, but you know, you, you get what I'm saying where it's like, it, it was for them, but you know, it was a bonus for the fans and, you know, a PR spin on it all. But then when it turned ugly because Juan didn't accept these kind of hand wave offers, then you know they kind of got slighted that's this is the way i view it and obviously if any of you disagree you know feel free but it felt like once one rejected probably two offers at this point during the season they're like all right you know fuck this <laughs> we're out and we're gonna make you look bad like well that- i was listening to mlb network radio day yesterday or the day before i can't remember and um, I wish I could remember which it was one of the guys they have on there who was a former man, you know, former general manager. And uh, I'm forgetting who it was. Jim Bowden. Might've been Jim Bowden. And he who, um, who always says something about the Nats because he's salty. They fired him. Yes. Just for the record. The saltiest. Yeah. But he said something about um, how it was, they, he said that the, he has, he's like, I have a lot of connections with the nationals. So it must've been Bowden. But he said, uh, they said, you know, the, someone in the ownership group said trade the player when he rejected that offer. So I don't know, you know, I doubt he's like making things up out of whole cloth, but what he said on, on the radio station was that someone in the ownership group, which is not a big group said, let's get rid of him. So that, I think you're right that it was a reaction to rejecting that second offer. And they were like, screw it, get that guy out of here. 
which to me is again, just so short-sighted. Like there's no reason you even need to be doing this this season. He was never going to sign anything with the ownership up in the air. Like, why are you even doing this? Why don't you just wait till the off season and then see who the new owner is and try then? I just, it makes so little sense to, and he's probably pissed at the organization now and is never going to want to sign here. It's just, it's so counterproductive what they've done and to turn the star player who the fan is just beloved by the fan base against the team. I just can't wrap my head around why they've done things the way they've done things. It, it makes no sense at all. Yeah. And, and I believe it too. Like I, billionaires, as Ryan pointed out, they're entitled. They don't care. I don't like so, to be told no. Yeah, exactly. So when, you know, Juan rejected them not once, but twice, you know, they are going to react emotionally and, and just move on. When in reality, whether he stays or goes does not affect them. Right. They they are not going to have anything to do with this team in a few months. So it, it shouldn't matter whether or not he stays or goes. Like you can literally just leave it to the new owner. Right. And you still have Juan Soto on this team, which is appealing to the buyers. Like right. instead, you, know, you pissed him off and, but and instead, right. ruin, burn the place down on your way out the door. Exactly. And now it's an uphill battle for the new owner, should they want to keep him around to smooth things over. And negotiate with, you know, the most notorious negotiator in probably all of sports in Scott Boris. So it, they really shot themselves in the foot here. Uh, I don't think there's any aspect of this that makes the learners look good. Um, they're definitely trying to make it that way. But I, I think there are some exceptions. You know, Twitter is a cesspool. But I think for the most part, the general opinion is the learners kind of suck in this regard in, in this uh you know conversation and whatnot but let's move on to you know the i guess business side of it because mike rizzo still has a job to do he now has to you know make the decision of whether or not to keep on or hold on to him i don't think there's any negotiating going on for the rest of the season um jesse kind of alluded to it during the interview it wouldn't really make sense to bid any more against yourself at this current point in time because of the reasons we just outlined with the impending sale. And, you know, they need to establish a relationship with the new owner before anything can happen. That being said, you know, teams are interested. There's not going to be any shortage of suitors for Juan Soto. So Ryan, I'll give it to you, Mike Rizzo. You know, we, we talked about it with Jesse, <laughs> probably not the best strategy. It seems like beyond stupid going for MLB ready prospects, attaching Patrick Corbin's contract to said package. I don't to borrow Jesse's phrase. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, what are your thoughts? No, it's so stupid, right? So going for MLB ready prospects seems nice. Like, oh, they'll be up quicker. Like you can get back to competing. No, (laughs) there's a learning curve that every single prospect goes through. Look at Julio Rodriguez, look at Adley Rutschman, look at Bobby Witt Jr. Every single one of those guys was bad their first month. And Julio Rodriguez, fantastic. Adley Rutschman, fantastic, right? That's just an example getting guys that are close and will be ready hurts your rebuild because when you're actually ready to contend to be good, those guys only have a couple years left and it just ruins everything. That's bad. You need to get the best prospects you possibly can. 
And it doesn't matter if they're ready. It doesn't matter if they're in A ball right now. You need to get the guys with the best upside going from people that are close to MLB ready screams. We don't know how to develop. Someone do it else. Someone do it for us, which I do not like. Which is true. <laughs> I, I mean, I it, it you is. may not like it, Ryan, but it might be the best thing. <laughs> For because the next, they can't develop players. It's so stupid. That's that's another conversation. Look at Spencer Torkelson too. He was just sent down. Former number one pick just a yeah, couple years ago. There just is a down. there's a learning curve in this team. Like I don't know, this team's stupid. That's that's the theme. And then attaching Corbin makes absolutely no sense oh, whatsoever. God, makes me so right? Mad. You like? I don't want Corbin on this team. Corbin sucks. But here's the issue. He's going to be a very easy fix for another team. And you're going to look absolutely horrible because you're limiting your return on the best player to probably ever hit the trade market. And that's embarrassing. A team that is going to take on Juan Soto and Patrick Corbin. You have to look at this financially, right? Patrick Corbin is due probably about 12 million left this year, 25, then I think 35 million his last two years. Yes. That's, that's a big financial commitment. You also have to consider that Juan Soto is making 17 million this year in arbitration. That's fine. There's probably about 9 million left. That doesn't hurt. Add in the 60 some mil that Patrick Corbin's owed. And then you have to consider the fact that Juan Soto is going to get record arbitration amounts in year two and year three. That is a very, very expensive return when teams also have to give up their top prospects. So you limit your market pool. Congratulations. You have three options, the New York Yankees, the New York Mets, and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Those teams have good prospects and money doesn't impact them. The Mets, who match up with you the best, you're not going to trade to. So you're down to two teams. Which one are you going to get fleeced by? And that's why attaching Patrick Corbin is so freaking stupid. Worry about Patrick Corbin later. Do Juan Soto first. If you only throw out Juan Soto and you don't limit yourself to close to MLB ready prospects, Eight teams can make it happen. You don't align the yeah, best with all of them. Very but interesting point. You can it, create a bidding war. It also doesn't make sense to attach Corbin because it's not like you're trying to be, you're not following the Red Sox method at this point. You are not going to be competitive next year. You're not going to be competitive the year after that. And by that time, you know, two years, two and a half years from right now, from where we're talking, you are still not going to be competitive and Patrick Corbin will be gone out of your hair. You're not going to try to really like pay anyone else before then. Like you might bring in, you know, one guy, hopefully they do, but that, you know, Patrick Corbin won't hinder your ability to do so. Him staying around as miserable of an experience as it has been to this point (laughs) does not impact you one way or another, you know, going forward. It does impact you if you do decide to attach him to Juan Soto and like Ryan, you said, limit your return because you are potentially missing out on a, a, a better player. Even if they are farther away from the majors, you're missing out on a better player. Why go for a guy hypothetically with a, a ceiling of an 85 out of hundred when you could be trading for a guy with a ceiling out of a 95 or, for, you know, for a 95 out of hundred, like that's just an example, but it doesn't make sense to limit what will be, what could be, but will be if he's traded the greatest return of any trade in any sport because of age, what he's accomplished. He's only 23 and he is probably one of the most accomplished players in all of baseball. And, you know, the, the years of control remaining, even if it is record setting arbitration, you still get Juan Soto for two and a half years. You can make a lot happen in two and a half years for Christ's sakes. Look at the Nats two and a half years ago. 
<laughs> I mean, it, it can be night and day with that amount of time and that amount of control over a superstar player. It, it makes zero sense. I get the desire to get back quickly. I do. But, you know, you kind of failed at that last year. If Josiah came out, I, I'm a big Josiah fan, so this is not a slight at, at him. If Josiah came out and was a Cy Young guy and, you know, K-Bear was an MVP candidate and all this stuff, you're like, okay, shit, maybe this works. But they they need time, right? And the guys you're drafting, Brady House, uh, even Cade Gavali, uh, granted he just got injured, he still needs time. Uh, Elijah Green clearly will need time. Like all these guys you're drafting to fill major spots in your team down the line are going to need four or five years. Align your your subsequent moves, everything that comes after that, with that timeline, or at least close to it, like three years down the line, and then figure it out. Then trying to be competitive next year and shed salary for what? We didn't even have a high salary this year. We could have made so many more moves and we didn't. Why are we trying to shed salary? Like I, it brings me back to the ownership point. Are we just trying to shed, you know, salary so that way we can present our payroll to new buyers and it can be, you know, 70 million instead of a hundred or, you know, 50 oh, yeah, million that's all they instead care of 80. About is they like, just care it, about the money. It's so stupid. And, you know, whatever we're talking about Rizzo here and hit just a strategy. It makes no sense. Like it, I'm not Mike Rizzo. I'm not a GM. But for me, I'm kind of fighting for my job, right? I'm trying to put together the best team possible and the best outlook possible. So that way, when the new owner comes around, I keep my job and I stick around. It makes no sense to, you know, diminish or prolong how long this is going to take. It it makes no sense whatsoever. And another thing, like if you're trading Juan Soto, you have to get a guy with franchise potential back. You cannot trade him and just pray to God someone turns into Alex Verdugo like the Red Sox did when they traded Mookie Betts. You cannot cannot make this trade and just only take mid-tier guys. Do not attach Patrick Corbin. Mike Rizzo, I know you're listening to this. Listen to me. Listen to me. Okay? Do not attach Patrick Corbin. Call up the St. Louis Cardinals and find a way to get Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn. Find a way to get a package around them. Don't focus on arms. They want to throw in Libertori. That's great. Jordan Walker is a franchise guy. Go get him. And that's my other point. Do not try to get good pitching arms. They have to focus on bats because pitchers flop more than bats do. There's way too much risk with pitching prospects. You have to get bats and bats are so much easier to make a sure thing. You can't trade for all these good arms and every single one of them crashes. Get the bats, please. (laughs) Yeah, I actually like that that idea because, uh, I mean, one, it worked. For us we had homegrown guy they were generational guys they don't come around all that often you know just had to put that disclaimer out there but we had the Bryce Harper we had the one soda we had the Rendon we had the trade turner like they were all internal guys that turned out great and then we subs um subs what's the word supplemented subs. there we go with Max Scherzer with you know trade for Gio Gonzalez you know and, and a couple other guys throughout there obviously Steven Trostberg was was homegrown I, and then Patrick Corbin you know was good at one point in time it seems like forever ago but he was good follow that strategy get those really powerful bats in your lineup and then 
you spend your money. Go get on a pitcher in pitchers. free agency or a trade for him. Yeah, I agree with you because they're bad at developing players in general, but they're terrible at developing pitching. So to me, I, I agree with you completely, Ryan. Is go get the go get bats that you have a much better chance. They they, you know, they they're more likely to work out if they're you know they have high upside. They're more likely to reach that potential, and you also aren't good at developing pitchers. So just go out and get them when you're ready, when you've got those guys that you, maybe you pick up, like, like we've been talking about, get some guys who are in the lower tiers of the minors who have super high upside. And when you're ready to compete again, go get the pitching. But I don't know. You made a great point about the time two next two and a half years. I mean, think about where the Nats were two and a half years ago and where they are now, like two and a half years is a long time in baseball. And if you're not going to be ready to compete again until at least that long, then the idea of keeping Patrick Cor- of making Patrick Corbin a part of this deal just for just for saving a little bit of money that doesn't even matter to guys with as much money as you know an ownership of a baseball team whoever the, even the new owners are like that amount of money is is big but it's only a couple of years and screwing up the return you get for Soto because you want to get out from under that contract that only has a couple of years left on it later is just idiotic to an insane degree yeah uh Makes no sense. I, I mean, I, Ryan, you might know a little bit more than me, but I think it's safe to say the Red Sox kind of, you know, sold short on the Mookie Betts trade because they attached David Price. To, I mean, it's definitely safe to say that. Obviously, they would have gotten more, yes. you know, from that deal if it was just Mookie. But I, I just mean, it's not like Verdugo and Jeter Downs are franchise altering players. And the Dodgers clearly had that. They could have gotten. You know, I don't know, uh, Gavin Lux. They could have, I mean, pick your poison with the Dodgers prospects that have come up over the over the years. But I'm jealous uh, of the Dodgers farm. God, I'm so jealous. Just makes no sense to attach what 73 million ish, you know, 25, 35, and the rest of this year. So 72 million ish. You know, it makes no sense to attach that and lessen your return. And, and didn't they like, just attach some of Scherzer's money when they traded him last year? Like, yeah, could have gotten it, more it out was, of the Dodgers, but they attached some of that money. Year. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know their thought process behind it. Uh, they There's no congruent line of thinking with any of their actions whatsoever. Like, they try to make moves at the last deadline for MLB-ready guys, seeming as though they're trying to compete in 2022. And then the 2022 offseason rolls around and nothing happens. So like Mm -hmm. those two right there. And I get there's, you know, stuff going on with ownership that came out later and obviously the impending sale. But those two, you know, events right there don't line up. They don't match. You you can't say, oh, we were thinking this and it covers both sides. No, they're almost complete opposite lines of thinking. Makes no sense. Um, But let's move on to the Boris aspect of this. Because Scott Boris is notorious, and he, <laughs> uh, pretty funny pictures uh, that have come out, you know, over the All Star break uh, of him basically up Juan Soto's ass, um, and even Juan Soto has kind of said some things like, "Oh, my hands are tied," and, and all this stuff. But I think the the biggest uh, quote from Boris is that, you know, we didn't want these negotiations to be public. They clearly are now, and that's disappointing. And Juan and I will, you know, remember that going forward. He said, like, and my client will take that under advisement. Advisement, yes, yes. So, (laughs) 
I mean, great job, learners. So great job, everyone. Phenomenal. <laughs> um, but you're Scott Boris. You're trying to get the best deal possible. They seem pretty intent on going to free agency. They they were intent on going to free agency prior to the first offer even being, you know, presented. So I I don't know why. You know, anyone, whether it was Rizzo, the front office, the learners, anyone in a, whatever, I don't know why anyone would be so upset that the offer was rejected when. Boris and Soto, but I'm going to, I'm going to say Boris because that's who we're talking about has been pretty clear on their intentions this entire time. Like I I get, you know, he can be a little abrasive and, you know, direct and, and whatnot, but you've negotiated with him in the past several times you kind of know what you're getting at this point and they've been clear with Juan Soto like I I, again it takes us back to what we were saying at the start of this conversation you you know very damn well they're not going to sell themselves short (laughs) so so what's the big surprise here but what are your guys thoughts on Scott Boris and all of this my first thought is that I bet that Ronald Lacuna Jr. wishes that Scott Boris were his agent (laughs) well yeah the Braves are separate I know. I keep thinking how jealous I am that they've got a Cunha signed to the deal he signed, and we're in this situation with Soto. That so Albie's just, deal is yeah. Cunha is one thing, but that Albie's deal is absolutely insane. My jealousy is is intense for that situation. But Boris is, you know, Boris is great for his clients. I've heard a lot of argument that he's bad for baseball, and whatever. I guess it depends on your sort of overarching philosophy about, you know, whether players should be loyal to teams and I think that's crap teams aren't loyal to players so I don't know why they should be loyal to teams even though as a fan that's that's tough to take right but um you know Boris is the best he's the best at his job he gets his guys the most money and that's what an agent's job is so I mean to be entirely cliche like this is a don't hate the player hate the game kind of situation like Boris is terrific at his job I it seems to me it's that one quote from from Soto about my hands are tied was pretty weird to me. Like what the hell do you yeah, mean your hands odd. are tied? Like you're, you're the one making the decisions regardless of what, but I, I had a feeling that before this all broke publicly and the learners leaked it out to the media, like he probably was, you know, he's 23 years old. He's never negotiated a big contract before. I'm sure he's leaning very heavily on, on Boris for advice. And so if Boris is saying, no, let's reject this one. He's I'm sure Soto is probably mortified that this has all become public and pissed off. You know, it's, it's it, because the whole purpose of it was to make him look greedy. And for a lot of fans who don't understand the process, it worked. You know, there's a lot of the fans that are, you know, making negative comments about Soto and the whole thing is just super shitty, but you know, Boris is, is doing exactly what he's paid to do. And if just like Strasburg did, if you're a Boris client and you want to sign an extension, you'll sign an extension. Like, I don't know why people are blaming Boris when Soto's the one making the decision. Boris to like the Boris hate is so stupid. Like you're not mad at Boris. You're mad at your team. And you're also mad because Boris isn't letting your team exploit players for cheap. And like, I always seen people who are like, Oh, Boris, such a scumbag. Like Strauss went out of his way to tell him he wants to come here. Okay. Have you ever thought about the fact that maybe all these Boris clients on the Nats are telling him they don't want to stay here? Like, are you just going to like completely like ignore the fact that's a very real possibility? 
Like if you Bingo. can't, you can't just look at it one way. You have to consider it both ways. And the my hands are tied thing. He was talking about the trade. Like Soto doesn't matter because his hands are tied. Like the ownership is going to dictate what happens to him, and that's all that meant. People were just like trying to get upset over nothing. And like of course Boris is going to be there because his clients in all the national headlines right now. Again, not making anything out of you know. Stop trying to make things out of nothing. That's just normal practice. And think of it from Soto's standpoint. They told him to his face they weren't going to trade him. A week later, the report comes out that they're looking to trade him. Do you think Soto's going to be happy about that? And then when Soto's like, I want these negotiations to stay private, the Nats leak it. Of course, Boris is going to come out and be aggressive because he's going to defend his client. Again, yep. that doesn't make Soto happy. And then after that, do you really think he's going to want to be open to continue talking negotiations with these people after they made them upset, you know, a couple of times? The and the plain thing is he knows that they're going to leak anything he te- he anything he negotiates. Like he's not going to talk to them at all anymore. Exactly. Like if like, there's any chance of keeping him, it's going to be if they don't trade him before this deadline and the new ownership gets a chance to negotiate. Exactly. Like Trey Turner texted him was like, "What are you even doing there?" Trey's been through it. Trey got blindsided by a trade. Jonathan Papelbon just came out and said this is the worst organization in sports. Was that really him? Yeah. Is that his real he, account? I didn't think it was a verified account. What's well, new, that's why. Yeah, he, he did Uh-oh. an interview, and that's like the account they tagged in it. So, yeah, no, that's that's him. Like, Come on the pod, Jonathan Papelbon. We want to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, to Ryan's point, Ryan made a couple of great points there. First and foremost, Soto is only 23. People see like always forget that because of how much he's been able to accomplish and just how damn good he is. He's only 23. Imagine, you know, you as a 23 year old, all your shit is just aired for the entire world to judge. Like it does not feel good, especially when a billion dollar organization is trying to make you look bad. It's not going to be a good feeling and it's going to sour very quickly. So I'm not surprised Juan has kind of, you know, taken the, it's not quite a PR approach, but, you know, the, the hands are tied thing aspect of it all. Similar to what Aaron Judge just said, it's like, don't be upset. Like I, I view both in a very similar light, but Juan still had the class, you know, to, you know, dedicate his home run derby went to the Nets and, and their, their fans and whatnot. And we'll, we'll talk about that a, a little bit later, but, you know, the fact that he's 23 and having to go through this, like, you're going to need someone like Scott Boris with all of his experience to stand up for. You're going to want that. So, you know, Boris being aggressive in all of this, I, I respect it. I like it because I'm always going to be pro player, but I, I like that Juan has someone in his corner that's willing to get, you know, his hands dirty. And honestly, that's what makes Boris such a good agent. He doesn't care if he's the villain or perceived as the villain. He doesn't care if people hate him. As long as what he does gets his client the best deal and puts his client in the best situation, it's all good for him. And that's why he's I so damn good at his job. If I was cashing his checks. Right. Well, yes, that, that it's not like he, he's, you know, doing <laughs> this out of the goodness of his heart. But I'm just saying as far as like his abilities and his success as an agent, that's why. Because he doesn't care if he looks bad. It, he knows what he's doing and it's proven to work. And that's why, again, everyone wants to, to sign with him. And, and, you know, a lot of big names go with him because he's very good at his job with Strasburg. It's not like Steven Strasburg signed a team friendly deal. No people. He got the record contract. I mean, he had it for two days before Garrett Cole signed, but he got a record contract. 
that's why we're looking at the contract right now and saying holy shit this is a terrible contract well, obviously because yeah. he's hurt but it was a record contract at the time which is what soto is going to need to stay <laughs> he's going to need a record contract and unfortunately there's been several other deals your max scherzers your mike trouts and, and whatnot since that time that are going to require a lot or you know that require you now to push that number up like 32 million is not the record anymore or whatever you know it was before it, it the, the going rate has gone up and that's on the nats for not doing this early you saw the padres do it before tatis had played 162 games you saw the braves do it early like every other team was doing it for this reason like you know especially with the shortstop market all the red sox did with bogarts and granted he, he wants a new deal and rightfully so but you know you see all these long-term extensions wander franco the rays the freaking rays did it like are you kidding me the rays who are notorious for never spending money extend their you know, prized prospect who appears to be the next superstar in today's game. They did it. So it's like, if you want to blame someone, blame yourself because you waited on this and here you are in a shit situation because of your actions, but it's going to take a record contract. That's what it took for Steven Strasburg. So that's almost not an argument. Yes. He wanted to stay, but he still got what he's worth, which is the overarching theme of this whole thing. Soto is going to get what he's worth, whether it's going to be with the Washington or likely now going to be with another another team like it's just so so annoying and and uh i had one final point i I forgot oh uh like the way boris does deals is you submit offers and he tells you yes or no boris doesn't counter offer that's kind of his style he it's not just a soto exclusive thing like he doesn't counter offer so it's like you yes it's kind of bidding against yourself but you have to submit a free agency like number like yeah if it's 15 years you might be able to tack off a couple million off the aav but not 12 million off the aav like they just did with this last deal so all that's just to say i i think boris is doing his job he's doing it really well i have no issues with him do either of you nope not a bit he's doing his job and you just make the point you ended with there about the AAV is really, we've talked a lot about all the different aspects of this, but that's really the only one that matters. If they had made an off, if they had made that same offer for 11 years or maybe 12 years. So the AAV was at or near the, what he would get on a shorter term deal, then, you know, he might've considered it, but it wasn't, and they're not going to make another offer this year. So really it just comes down to, are you going to trade him before this deadline or are you going to leave it for the new owners? But I don't know. And I'm torn because the fan part of me would love to see him here and would love to see the new ownership. You know, maybe we get a Steve Cohen like owner who's going to come in and resign Soto and actually go out and spend the money to make this team competitive again more quickly, but I doubt it. And uh, as painful as it is, I think if you're not, if you're going to suck for the next three years, then trading Soto, it a lot more sense than being, keeping him he's like the he's like that that meme with the ferrari parked at the trailer park like that's juan soto right now and i don't know i if you're remember when they first tore it all down last year at the trade deadline and we had long conversations about are they you know well they have to rebuild quickly because they're not going to waste the last competitive years of soto 
you know, that they have him locked down, they're going to have to be, you know, if they want to, to use Juan Soto's prime while they still have him. We had all these, we had all these talks about it. And what it turned out is they didn't do shit. They did nothing in the off season and they put together this horrible roster that's performed exactly as you'd expect this horrible roster to perform. And, you know, if you're not going to try, then what the hell are you gaining by keeping Juan Soto here? Yep. Absolutely. Well, the last kind of perspective or aspect to look at this is Juan Soto's, you know, you are generational talent, whether he finally admits that or not. I I don't know because it seemed like after the deadline last year, he was a, a bit apprehensive uh, of the idea of being the guy, being the face of the franchise. Obviously you had, you know, Max Scherzer and Trey Turner and all, all these, you know, storied guys here with you. And now you're the last one remaining. Like it, it is and he was 22 at the time. Like, you know, that is a, a daunting task, but you know, the reality is he's pretty damn good at baseball. So, you know, any team is going to want him as their guy, but you know, to that end, to that point, all of your friends, all of, you know, the good players for the most part are gone. You know, it's going to be a while before this team is good again, whether you're here or not. So I, I, I don't fault him. You know, ownership uh, ambiguity aside, I don't fault him for questioning whether or not he really wants to be here. Like, people use this argument for you know Rendon uh Rendon's probably and maybe Max too but you know they won a world series while they were here Juan Soto won a world series while he was here he delivered a world series to DC like as far as owing anything to the fans or the city or whatever his obligations are fulfilled and then some he's all good like I, I get you know, some player, like I think LeBron James is a good example. You know, he wanted to go back to Cleveland to get them a title. And then once he got them a title, he left again. Like, you know, Juan doesn't have to do that because he's already given Nats, the Nats fans and, you know, the organization a title. So he can move on, you know, with almost a clear conscience, like just from a personal aspect. Like he doesn't have to feel guilty about anything. He accomplished so much here. Like, and, and you he know, I don't feel like players ever need to feel like. No, no, no. But I'm just saying, anything. like, I mean, yeah. if he if that did cross his mind, you know, it, it's kind of a moot point because of all that he did accomplish, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, just from his aspect, like, I, I get it. I get why you know the grass may seem greener on the other side because right now the grass is dying, if not a. Dead. And it like, must suck to you're, show you're... up at the yard every day and lose. Like that guy doesn't want to yeah. be. I mean, this team has won what thirty games? Are we thirty games? Is that all the wins this year? So far? yeah, it's thirty. Thirty. Literally, like, like can 30 you imagine being a player of his caliber and coming to the to the park every day and playing with this shitty team and only having thirty wins on the season? Like, how do you get yourself up for those games? How do you how do you get yourself motivated? And and it's not fun. When Especially with his personality, bad. like he's yeah. so f- fun and happy, go lucky and, and likes to, yeah. likes to, you know, shit talk, but in a fun way, not to be, like piss you off and get in your head. But, you know, he likes the, the banter and the back and forth. That's yep. what the Shoto, Shoto shuffle kind of started as was just like a nice little back and forth of the pitcher. And it's like, it's hard to even do that now because... <laughs> 
your team sucks. <laughs> like it, it's hard to like have that fun and talk that talk when you know your your team is just letting you down. So I, I get it. Uh, I I get why he might want to go elsewhere. There, there's not much appealing about this team, especially you know once you add in all those other factors that we've discussed so far with you know ownership kind of you know treating you poorly and you know now the front office is listing trade offers on you and all this stuff i i get it ryan what do you think well a lot of players have talked about how hard it is playing on bad teams when no one really goes and how hard yep. it is to get motivated christian yelich basically everyone that got traded from the marlins talked about that but like i mean everything so's doing makes sense like the nats have kind of gone against everything he's kind of wished for like he said he doesn't want to do negotiations during the season because he wanted things to be private and didn't like that they got out you know like i don't i don't blame him there's no motivation for him to sign there's no motivation for him to talk to him right now there's too many uncertainties and he's not doing anything wrong and also the very important fact that players don't owe you shit just mm-hmm. like teams don't know players shit either like no one knows you anything it's it goes both ways like a lot of people are like well the teams don't owe them anything Okay, the players who don't know who you are don't know you anything either. They're not gonna take a bad deal just because you like them, want them to stay. Like it's not how it works. No. Yep. Just like you wouldn't take a you wouldn't take less than you're worth at your job. There's no reason for them to do that. And again, if they get, you know, if the team has no use for them, they're gonna move on from them any way they can as fast as they can. And so the idea that they should be loyal, because we as fans are loyal to our teams, does not mean that players need to be loyal to the teams. And it's awesome when they are. There's a reason why Ryan Zimmerman is a legend in this town. You know, like that was awesome. He was never going to go anywhere else when he was near the end of his career. He made it clear, like, call me when you got everybody else signed you need and, you know, give me 12 bucks and a pack of gum and I'll come back and play. Like, that's awesome, but that's not the norm. And it's also certainly not the norm for any player and especially not for a player of Soto's caliber or somebody like Bryce or somebody like Rendon or any kind of a player who has better options. Like, why would they, why would they stay in a worse situation than they need to? It it just makes no sense. And fans want their favorite players to stay, but it's just, it's not realistic and it's not reasonable to expect a human being to put themselves in a worse situation than they need to be. And Soto has a million options and he's not been offered what he's worth. If he really loved it here and his team was good and competitive and they made him a competitive offer that was as good or nearly as good as anything he was going to get out on the market, maybe he'd think about it, but they haven't done that. And this team is ass. So, and the owners are changing. Like there's no reason on God's green earth for him to sign here right now. And people who are mad at him because he's unwilling to sign here right now are out of their mind. Yeah, they they don't. I mean, like Ryan said, you know, players don't owe us fans anything at all, ever. Like uh, when you are that good of a player, even just as an MLB caliber player, not like mega superstar like Juan Soto, but just an MLB caliber player. If you're that good, you're afforded the right to be a little selfish. And I don't even think Juan's being selfish here, but I'm just saying you're, you're allowed to be. Because you're that good, you can do whatever you want, right? You've earned the right to be there, so you can you can be a little selfish. You don't owe anyone anything, and you know there's a saying. I'm a big fan of the Pat McAfee show, and there's something he says on there all the time: "Be who you can afford to be." 
Juan Soto can afford to be whoever he wants to be because, you know, it's not like he's going to have a shortage shortage of suitors. Man, all these S's are really throwing me off today. But, you know, he, he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's the business of it. So we'll, we'll wrap this because obviously we can go on and on and on with all of our thoughts and the discourse about this. And also it's not over yet. This is going to be going on for maybe two weeks, maybe four months, maybe a year, maybe two and a half years. I don't know, but we'll, we'll wrap this particular conversation with just like your gut feeling. What do you think happens? Do you think he's traded at the deadline? Do you think, I think he's traded? He... I think he's gone. I think yeah. he'll be gone by August 2nd. Ryan, what about you? Um, I think there's way too much. There's a lot that needs to be done. Yeah. I think, I think they'll it's... rush it and ruin it and attach Patrick Corbin to it. I, I can see it. That's what I was going to say. Now. I said a bad word. No, Amanda, how dare you? <laughs> what the hell? Um, <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I mean, I mean, you kind of, you kind of hit it. Like, there's way, way too much on both sides. They be smart to do it in the off season, but the theme of the episode is that the Nats aren't smart, and I feel like they're just gonna rush and be like, "Yeah, that works," and I'm gonna be upset. I'll take your, uh, I'll take your six mid tier prospects here. Have the best player in baseball. I swear, I swear to God, if this team goes quantity over quality, I'm gonna have a mental breakdown on the timeline. I'm looking I mean, forward to it actually. <laughs> this this is set up scorched earth. This is set up to be the worst trade of all time. Like before a, a, an offer is even presented. I don't I, I would assume at least a offer has been presented at this point, but this is already set up to make you look bad. You have a proven superstar under team control. If you lose him in free agency, that's one thing, but you have him for two and a half years. If you, if he is gone at this point, it's because you let it happen. You facilitated it. And everything you're getting in return is not proven. It could be great, but history kind of tells us that the majority of that package, if not all that package is going to be not worth what you gave up. Like, look at all the bad trade. Is there anything though that could be enough? That's kind of my thought on this is even let's say you do a great job on the trade and you get, let's say you get five or six players in return and three or four of them turn out to be really good major league players. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me stop you there. Let me, let me stop you there. If you trade for five prospects and four of them turn out good, that's the greatest trade in MLB history because well, that right, is a success is rate. It for Soto? Yes, it's good in like in, in a vacuum, but is there anything, if you end up with four good players, is that enough for giving up Soto? Soto is like the next Ted Williams. Like, is it, is there anything that you would really ever look back at this 10 years or 20 years down the line and be like, that was worth it. It was if, worth it. If they get someone Say, so if they trade for prospects, say they trade for Jordan Walker and Jordan Walker lives up to his potential, that's a win. Even if you trade for a prospect, say he has great power grades, great contact grades, he doesn't hit for, for uh, I can't remember the word for contact, doesn't hit for contact <laughs> and he plays right field, but he hits 30 plus home runs and you got that guy for Soto, that's a win. You see what I mean? Like if they find ways to just excel at certain things, on the diamond, it's a win because it makes you better long-term. So say the Nats trade for 
Only three prospects if they get make it to the MLB. Again, that's a good success rate. One of them is a 240 right fielder, hits 35 home runs. One of them's a third baseman that plays plus defense, hits 280. And then one of them's a pitcher that's like a four. Do you take that? Yeah, I yeah. do a thousand times. Like, you see what I mean? Yeah. Like, right you have from, to take right it into from, consideration. I think it's just like from an emotional perspective, like you're going to watch Juan Soto go and be amazing for another club. And, you know, like I said, in 10 or 20 years, when you're looking at the history and it doesn't matter, you know, which season you won, you know, 85 versus 91 wins. And because you didn't win a World Series that year, but like Juan Soto is this amazing player that you've watched through his whole career and he's not a gnat. Like it just, it just feels like no matter what they get, even if it's a win from a, you know, from a strictly business perspective, it's not going to feel good. There's no, there's no, there's no return they can get that I think can make a Juan Soto deal feel palatable. Well, that's, that's the fan side. And it's also kind of just the risk you take when you trade players. Like, you know, for a fact, you are not going to get a player that's going to live up to Juan Soto's potential because Juan Soto is a once in a blue moon player. You're looking at Bryce Harper. Mike Trout. It's kind of it. <laughs> like yeah. those are those are the only type of players who've kind of come onto the scene and done what Juan Soto's done. But if you get players who can even one guy who can be a franchise guy, that's a win of a trade. Because would you rather have Juan Soto and say he's great for the first six years of his contract, but when the team's finally good, he's starting to struggle? Or would you rather knowing that Juan Soto? left won a couple world series somewhere on that new team and those pieces that you got were crucial in this team becoming the world series contender again would that make it feel better yeah i mean it's it's just a risk but like the the reason i brought up you know why before an offers you presented their setup fails because you need so much to go right to even make it fair like if you get five guys in return right you know let's say Corbin's not involved. You get it's five for one. And we know what Juan Soto is at this point. Four guys, you know, don't really do anything. And the one guy is like a uh, Jock Peterson who, you know, has spurts, but isn't, you know, a cornerstone or anything like that. That's not to slight Jock Peterson, but like that type of trade would not be worth it. But in the, you know, scenario that you presented, yeah, it would be worth it because you're getting four or five guys. And as we've seen, it, you need more than one guy. You need more than three guys to make a team good again or just good in general. And the Nats, you know, are more than three guys away from being good again. So it, it is a risk, but you, you, the odds are against you, you know, at the start. So if you're going to trade them, you got to be damn sure, you know, in the return you're getting. And you cannot diminish it by attaching Corbin to it because it's already a risk to begin with. Why, you know, hurt your chances even more by, you know, just salary dumping somebody you quite honestly don't need salary dump. It's just absurd. But I I think Ryan kind of summed it up. Well, is if he is traded, you need a franchise potential guy in return. You can't have like, you know, four top 100 prospects would be good. But you need that one guy where you're just like, all right, this guy has something. You need like, you know, what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. might have been and, you know, uh, trying to think of examples. But, you know, you you need that guy. 
And not every team has that guy and not every team can afford Soto. And not every team is, can, my fear is yeah. that you trade for guys who could be that guy and they don't turn into that guy and you wind up with nobody of consequence and you don't have Juan Soto anymore. Well, so, I mean, but again, that's the risk you run. That, that's yeah. that's the, the business of trades. Amanda, let me tell you something. I'll make you feel even better. <laughs> All there's, right. Spoiler alert. It did not make <laughs> you feel better. <laughs> there, there is a rule of thumb with prospects. For every four, if one hits their potential, you're good at developing prospects, right? So a 25% hit rate is considered good at developing. So kind of keep that in mind when the Nats make the trade and also take in consideration this team isn't good at developing. So when you're not yeah. good developing, so we're going to need like 12, prospects, 12 <laughs> good prospects to make me feel okay about it. I saw somebody on, I can't remember who it was tweeted earlier today. They were like, if we trade him to the Dodgers, we're going to need like five of their top prospects, two major leaguers, Denzel Washington and the Hollywood sign. Oh, and LeBron James, I think was on the list. Just do it for Denzel straight up. That's a win. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's how I feel like it almost has to be such an absurd haul that you feel like, I don't know, that, that it feels like, okay, we're better off with that all you of can, this You can live with it if it doesn't right, work out. You can live thing. with it. Yeah. And I don't know. And I guess there's a part of me that's like the realist in me. And then the, the Homer fan who is like the thought of losing Soto just guts me. You know, losing Harper was such a gut punch. And, you know, we lost Rendon. And then Trey is one of my favorite players. And he was gone last year. Max, as you know, is my all-time favorite Nat. And he's gone. It's just been like one thing after another. And uh, losing Soto is just, it's just a kick in the balls. Yeah. um, But one one point, sorry. I will say, uh, Amanda did so well for so long, but I think now Amanda is just really considering the possibility that Soto be gone and like the true Amanda is coming out. Right oh yeah, now. I can't handle it. I'm <laughs> like, you know, I'll disappear off Twitter for like a week. I, I'm gonna be like inconsolable. I'm, yeah, like I was, I was a little surprised with with your reaction at first, but now now the Amanda we know and love is. Oh yeah, one. yeah, I'm still in here. I'm just trying to be realistic. We'll see how well it works. If the trade actually happens, all it's all good to be realistic until. I actually read the headline that Soto is not a national anymore. And then I'm going to have a meltdown. And knowing our luck, it'll happen at like, it'll, it'll happen in the next 30 minutes and yeah. we're just going to be up all night. And after we just recorded this, right, you know, we'll just hang two up hour and it will be done podcast. and then it'll come out right after. But it, know, it would really happen at like 11 o'clock. feel like it's going to happen. Up. And after talking to Jesse, I almost feel more like it's going to happen before this trade down deadline than I did before, because it was all sort of speculation before. Like, are they really doing this? Is this just right. a negotiation tactic? And he was like, no. They're really talking to people about it. And, and he was like, no, nah. no. It's not like he was like, no, nah. it was no. It was they're, like, they're, he, he was it was, he was firm with it. Yes, he was firm about it. He's like, oh, no, they're, they're listening. This is happening. I was like, ah, shit. <laughs> Here we go. All right, yeah. shit. Here we go again. Um, but to put my prediction on it, I do think he's traded. I don't think it's at the deadline. I think it you is think the this offseason. Off this upcoming offseason, yeah. Um, I think for both sides, um, I think any – realistic owner is going to look at this team and realize they're not very close. Um, Like, you know, I know we brought up Cohen a lot, but the Mets had pieces in place. You know, they already had Lindor or no, I think Cohen signed Lindor, but they had the Grom obviously. And, you know, Alonzo showed promise. You know, they, they had 
good pieces in place. And then they, you know, had a good off season signed, you know, Max Scherzer and uh, uh, Mark Hanna and Starlin Marte and all those guys to, to help out. But they, they had the pieces in place. The Nats don't. So I think from a business side of it, you realize Juan Soto is not the missing piece. He, he's a generational talent and you're not going to let him go for nothing, but that's what kind of facilitates the trade for the new owner. And then obviously from Soto Boris' side, they, I think, want a fresh start at this point. You know, the, they know Juan Soto is going to fit better somewhere else. Like what's best for Soto is for him to be somewhere else. He's I'm not, not going to sit agree on his that, team but... through a five-year rebuild. He's right. just not going to do that. Right. Like even though he would only be 28 <laughs> and still very much in his prime at the end of a five-year rebuild, which is absurd to think about. But I, I do think when the sale happens, both sides will see that it is kind of, you know, mutually beneficial to to move on. And, you know, it can be a win-win. So. It, it sucks. Doesn't but I feel do like think a win. Happens. Yeah, <laughs> like it's it's one of those things where it's like, it, if there's smoke, there's fire, uh, and obviously Jesse confirmed that today. So, man, it is a lot to take in. Uh, you know, distress is the you know the theme for for Nats fans, and obviously on the show, just losing guy after guy. The fact that we had all those guys to begin with. And we've lost every single one. Is yeah, that is the part that makes it so hard to take? It's not just the idea of losing Soto, which is hard enough on its own. It's the if we had Harper, see you, yeah. Soto. I don't care, but we don't it's have Harper. We don't have, we don't have all Harper, of it every yeah. single time, and we've it's become that running joke on the show. Oh, we had to, you know, we had to lose we've him, been doing this for him for four years, and that joke was him. that joke was episode one. We started that joke and here we are four years later. And it's not a joke. <laughs> nope. It's not a joke. <laughs> well, this was a depressing ass episode. I'm starting to think it's not a joke anymore. <laughs> oh man. But all right. Final thoughts on anything, anything we didn't cover anything that's still on your know. mind. My final thought is, I don't know how I can both love and hate this team so much simultaneously. No. I, I I mean, I was finding myself struggling to pay attention to this team with Soto. Not that that's any fault <laughs> of Soto. Can you imagine if Soto and Bell are gone? Like, but oh, like, God. oh, I I love Josh Bell and it sucks. We're not even talking about him. I like, know we're not even talking about it. He's he's gone, gone. I'm sure yeah, it was I mean, so funny gone, when we talked gone. to Jesse. He just operated under the assumption that he was already gone, which kind of tells right. you everything you need to know. Right. But I mean. Uh, listen, I, I was a fan through the dark times. I've been a fan since this team got here. I, I, I do remember what it was like, and I'm, it's not like I'm going to jump ship, but God damn, it is going to be really tough to just stay entertained with this team. Like, it is yeah. going to be exceptionally tough. And yeah, even now, like I said, with it, it didn't have to be. That's the thing. Like, it didn't have to be this tough. But because of mismanagement and poor operations, here we are. And it's going to be such a long time before this team is truly competitive again. And that sucks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, at least we have the, the Caps. <laughs> are probably coming out of their competitive window, too. They're usually my fallback. You know, they're the ones that, like, at least I know my Caps are going to be good. This is why baseball is dying. 
Ryan is right. Baseball is dying. This is a dying sport. Sports well, at least sucks. the Nats are. I don't know about baseball. Sports but... sucks. Ryan, <laughs> any final thoughts? Um, yeah, rebuilds stink, but when rebuilds are done right, they're beautiful. The problem is <laughs> you have to have the right people in. <laughs> I was gonna say there was a clause there when they're done right. This team doesn't have a plan. <laughs> no, I mean these two weeks are going to suck. Every single conversation about baseball is going to be about Soto. Get used to it. Brought up in the home run derby. They brought up during the all-star game. It's going to be absolutely everywhere. And it's going to be very annoying because your entire timeline is just going to be fans of other teams salivating at the fact that they can get Juan Soto. So, And you're going to see a lot of mock trade proposals. A lot of mock trade proposals. Yeah, I can't even listen to like I can't. I listen to usually in the car. I'm in the car a lot. I listen to MLB Network Radio. I'm just like I can't even listen to it right now. It's like wall to wall, Juan Soto trade talk. I'm like, yeah, I'm not here for this. Yeah. 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 You know the the Nats plan is like sometimes I just start a sentence and I have no idea where I'm going, type thing like that. That's the Nats plan in this this regard. They have no idea. Rudderless. Yeah completely it just feels like they're drifting and i can't understand how you drifted into a rebuild like this and especially drift into a situation where you're about to trade away the the best player in a generation it just it feels surreal after all the other players we've lost i sort of can't believe i sort of can't believe we're here and i sort of feel like getting here was inevitable yep yep well on a personal in terms of the show and, and what we do here note uh i will still be here i guess <laughs> I, I mean we're not guaranteeing anything but we will still be around and on twitter uh allison uh i appreciate and respect her optimism i don't know how she does it but she's still doing twitter spaces for this team that does not deserve it uh, <laughs> but she's still doing it monty still you know, doing his, his thing over with the website. So be sure to check out halfstreethighheat.com and all the articles that are coming out. Trey still doing his thing with the YouTube channel. Uh, I believe he has one coming out on Friday. Um, he will be expanding to general MLB because uh, as you, one might expect, not a lot to talk about with the Nats. Um, you know, good things to highlight with the Nats. Like the last thing he did was, you know, that embarrassing game. I can't remember. I mean, pick your embarrassing game but the last embarrassing game i believe it was against the braves where they just got smacked uh that was his last nancy video so he's like yeah i think i'm gonna expand to general mob i was like you know what you are good my friend so trey's still doing his thing with youtube channel we're still here is what i'm saying um it's 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 just gonna be it is what it is with this team uh, as one might expect with everything that's going on but we are still here be sure to follow us on Twitter at Half Street High Heat and follow us all on Twitter. Uh, Ryan at We Are All Shack Amanda at A White Seven Eight Seven Seven. Myself at the Coach Moose. Um, I guess that's it. <laughs> we we will see. We'll be back if there's any breaking news. You know, with this team, you know, we'll definitely do a trade deadline episode. I believe we're going to have Sam Dykstra back on talk prospects that you know once we know who we're getting back in these trades we'll talk prospects and uh we didn't even talk drafts that much we talked a little bit about it with jesse but we'll talk more about drafts and prospects with sam and you know get his insight on all these new guys and and the young guys and whatnot 
So we will be back, um, if not before then, at the trade deadline, you know, with all that. But we appreciate you listening. Hang in there, I guess. I, this has not been the most optimistic episode, but you yeah, know, this hey, was not our positive vibes only it, episode. It'd be <laughs> like that sometimes. It do be like that sometimes. So, all right, guys, we will catch you later. And in the meantime, go next. Sell now, sell the team. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls all at the commentator who has the causes past the wall to see you later. By the early light of dawn, well, you can see they're running scared. Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air. Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look. Cause we're putting curly W's in every book. Let's go, Nats. We've got a game to play. We're gonna win today. Let's go. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.